Sister Brower, I certainly encourage you and wish you well as you make your transition from Northern Virginia to the sunshine state of Florida. I wish I had a place of worship that I could recommend for you in Pensacola. I don't have any friends in Pensacola. I have them in Fort Lauderdale and in Gainesville and a few other places, but not Pensacola. But I'm sure you'll find a place down there where you can become a member and participate and be as effective there as you were here. We certainly will miss you. I hate to see you go. But um, may God bless you at that next transition and level of your life. I pray that it will be as prosperous as you've ever seen before. Amen. Bless you. Church, would you join me this morning in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5? I just want to read two verses, verses 6 and 7. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. And then I think I might add verse 8 as well. Verse 6, 7, and 8. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verse 6, 7, and eight. Are we there? Amen. Gospel of Mark, chapter five, verse six. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So we're picking up on the theme we shared on last Sunday as we're participating in what I call through the month of July and August, Summer Ease Sermons in which I'm attempting to invite you as we go through the text to raise questions and in this worship experience we will dialogue about perhaps some of the challenges that you have in your own spiritual journey as you deal with your mind construct. The title is, The Mind is a Terrible Thing to Waste. Remember we gained that last week from the former leader of the United Negro College Fund. We took a look at Romans chapter eight, verse five, six, seven, and eight, and we understood that there is a battle for the mind. Remember, the mind is the battleground. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul at least unveils to us that he too had a consistent spiritual battle in his own journey. When we get to chapter 8, he says that the battle is so intense that in your mind, you are wrestling between two hemispheres, your flesh or your spirit. He says, those things that we do and walk according to the flesh, we end up bearing the fruits of the flesh. And those things we do according to the spirit, we end up bearing the fruits of the spirit. Remember, we further took a look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22. And it told us what the things or the fruits of the flesh are. 
And it also told us what the fruits of the Spirit are. And in that battle for our mind, in that wrestle that we have, remember Paul says in Ephesians 6, not against flesh and blood. So one thing I want to sort of pound into your mind is in reality, our differences is really not with each other. It's with a spiritual nature that raises its head and wants to confront but also create chaos Says Paul, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers, wickedness in high places. So here's a spiritual insight. Before there's a war down here, there's always a war up there. So there's a constant battle there, which in return breeds a battle down here. And Satan's desire is to create consistent chaos in the mind because once I control your mind, I control you. This morning in the eight o'clock we learn from Romans chapter six, verse 14 through 19, that we wanna handle whatever it is that keeps us from becoming what we know we can be based on the word of God because there is something, whether flesh or spirit, it's desiring to control. Paul uses the word master your mind. And he challenges us in Romans 6, make sure you don't allow sin to master you. And remember, sin simply means not just being disobedient, but it means missing the mark. That means that God has a standard that he wishes us to walk in. And whenever we walk outside of that standard, we miss his mark that he has for us. Satan uses what we call temptation. Temptation solicits us outside of the realm of God's righteousness and protection so that we will constantly miss the mark. Because when you constantly miss the mark, it creates spiritual frustration. So you know as well as I know that when you have a bad habit in your life and you don't like it, you know it shouldn't be there, but you constantly are hound by it because we are frustrated by it. it doesn't seem as if we can break that cycle. What I want you to do is to understand today, we only got one point, you can break the cycle, but the cycle is gonna require for you to take a particular action, okay? Look in your bulletin, there's a handout that I gave you, and in that handout there are what I call five steps to either renew or to set your mind. You remember I highlighted the three words that Paul said last Sunday in Romans chapter eight. I highlighted that we have to remember it's about a mindset. The mindset is what am I thinking What's controlling my mind? What am I putting in there? What am I giving permission to contribute to my mindset? That's critical, mindset. We're only gonna deal with the first step. And the first step is going to be highlighted as we look at Mark chapter five in the life of a man who is described as a demon-possessed man. That means that something has taken control of his life. 
maybe we can argue that it didn't happen overnight. For you can very easily remember that whatever habit you have that you know you need to break, it certainly didn't happen overnight, but it gradually happened over time. Once it initiated, each time we come back, we feed it. And when you keep feeding it, what happens? It grows. And when it grows, it moves from being really a habit, something I habitually do, to now becoming a part of my lifestyle. And what God always challenges us to do is to remember your lifestyle is no longer according to the flesh, but it's now according to the spirit. And that's what Satan desires to do with temptation, remove that lifestyle of blessing, of life, of abundance, and replace it with chaos, confusion, frustration. Somebody find for me, doesn't matter who you are, when you find it for me, let me know. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and I'm gonna ask you to begin reading at verse 11 and probably stop at verse 19. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, verse 19. When you get it, just let me know. Raise your hand up and I know you got it. So we got a man in Mark chapter five whose mind and whose life now is controlled by an evil spirit. Now what I find fascinating, thank you sir, fascinating about the story is when this man sees Jesus at a distance, well let me back up, verse two, verse three, verse two, three, and four says that here is now the man's lifestyle. He lives in the cemetery, so he lives among death the mindset wherever he is it's death it's detraction it's not life it's death so he lives in the tombs he is consistently trying to find a way out of his dark context he cuts himself so arguably he may be trying to end his life so that he can get out of the darkness and in the frustration of being among the dead it also says that he constantly has chained or been chained by someone, but now his evilness or that which controls his life has so escalated that he's at a point now that he breaks all the chains. So much so that whenever they come back to chain him, it doesn't do any good. As soon as they chain him there, he breaks them again. So his mindset and you do know that you can become so deranged in your mind that you can sort of supersede what you consider to have be normal strength. I mean, you ever seen people get mad and they just exhort strength like you never thought they'd have? Because your mind is actually that powerful. It's that strong now, William James, the great psychologist, said you can will yourself to do anything. Now, Christian theologians don't like that, but that's a real, that's a reality. You can will yourself to do some things. For example, if I know I'm swimming and I'm just about at shore, I don't care how much strength I got left, I'm going to find a way to will myself to that shore. You hear me? And I think everybody will do that because even though the shore looks like it's right where I am or I'm, I'm so close yet I'm so far 
And as I keep swimming, I got to find the strength to make sure I'm going to do it. And so I have to mentally tell myself, you have got to keep swimming. You've got to keep swimming. Now, I can't even swim, but I'm going to keep myself. I've got to keep swimming. You've got to, because you can actually will yourself to do some things victoriously. So he gets to a point where he's, he's at a dark space where he's now been able to break all the fetters. But what I find to be an ironic shift in this story is when he sees Jesus afar off, he runs to meet Jesus as he gets out of a boat. And the King James Version says, and when he meets him, he bows down to worship him. Now, I'm not sure why, why would you be in the posture of worship when you are demonically possessed? Because I want to contend that perhaps the challenge is he saw the glimmer of hope that he needed to see. And in seeing the glimmer of hope, read the story very closely. We get to verse 5, I think it is, or verse 6. It says that when he sees Jesus afar, he runs and bows down, but crying out with a loud voice, he says, what do I have, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, in your handout I gave you, in the left margin, See in the left margin? I gave you a little blank space there. I want you to write the word beside number one, confrontation. Confrontation. Or you can just shorten it, confront. Because if you read verse six in the text, if you have the ability to read it in the Greek, it would say this. This is what the demon in the man says. Why are you confronting me? And listen to that. Why are you confronting me, Jesus? So in seeing Jesus, the demon then recognized that the man now knows I need to confront what it is that's getting the best of me in order for me to finally get myself free from this prison that I'm living in. And what does he do when he sees Jesus? One way to confront that is to worship. Now try to imagine for a moment, as we saw worship earlier before the sermon, what would you do if you did not have the freedom to do what we just did? Because worshiping is a chain breaker. Worshiping is a mind regulator. Worshiping is a spiritual empowerment. When you can break out and worship, because worship is a space of freedom. Now, if I know I got freedom, whatever chains that's been holding me, if I can get to that space of freedom, I can let my life free and slowly the chains will fall off because my worship derives from God the power to break whatever is trying to bind me. 
And now the man realizes if I can just get to him as I see him afar off and if I bow down and worship, this thing in me has got to come out of me. And what does it say when it sees Jesus? What are you trying to do, Jesus? Why are you confronting me? And the next verse says, because Jesus had been calling that thing out all along. But wait a minute, verse 2 says, he just met him. Has he been calling it out all along? No, he just met Jesus. But maybe Jesus already knew who he was. You feel me? So watch this. Watch what I put in the first step. Because a part of breaking the cycle in your mind, whatever that habit is, you've got to be willing to confront it. Listen to what I wrote. You need to recognize that you have a mindset that needs changing. Now, I know that's tough because we don't like to think that I need changing. Now, maybe you need changing, but I don't need changing. But remember, if I've got something in my life that's really, really, really agonizing and churning at my spirit, and the good thing is, hopefully it has not escalated to a point where everybody can recognize that I got something going on. We do very good at hiding, facading, covering up, making sure. Because I don't want anybody to know that I'm not the spiritual giant that they think I am. I don't want people to know that I'm vulnerable. I don't want people to know that I struggle in my spirituality. I don't want any person in the sanctuary to know that I'm growing in my salvation. I want them to believe that I've already arrived. I'm so spiritual that when they call on me, God can't help but answer my prayer because I got it all together. See? But I also know that when I'm in church, there are some thoughts that enter my mind that I know that are not of God. I know y'all don't have that problem. I know y'all holy and y'all don't have an issue, but I know when we see each other, there's some things that perhaps because of some past experiences that different thoughts rise in our minds. And I ain't talking about I love them so much. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really trying to walk this life of discipleship with God and struggle with some stuff. Yeah, see. Now, can I bring it down on the road right where we live at? So it wouldn't be abnormal because I know people who do this that when they leave church, they don't go get a Coca-Cola. They don't go get a Pepsi. No orange, no grape, no Sprite, no mellow yellow, no root beer. However, that's substituted with Apple Crown Royal. Again, I know it's not anybody in this church. I know we don't have that kind of time. I got it. I, I got that. This is one of the congregations of heaven that we've mastered that thing. We don't have that problem. But some people need a drink. Some people need a drink. 
uh, one of the most gifted voices I think I have ever heard in my life sing the gospel, Leandra Johnson. I'm talking stupid, ridiculous, gifted. Uh, she sings a song now by Donald Lawrence, wrote specifically for her. Lord, deliver me, because all I seem to do is hurt me. I mean, just think about this for a moment. She's almost like the man in Mark 5. She's crying out, and with the crown royal, she's cutting herself, trying to find a way to get out of the bondage, and she needs an exodus. And all I'm trying to tell you is, she could have never gotten it until she was willing to confront that which she had that was eating her alive. May not be crown royal. Maybe you don't need a drink. Maybe you need a blunt. Once again, I know that's not in this church. I got it. I got it. I got it. Although I would love to go out and check some of y'all ashtrays out here and see what y'all got in the ashtray out there. Or y'all do like we do. Before we get to church, we empty everything out to make sure. In case the pastor want to ride, I don't want him to see I got something. But some people need that medicinal sedative. Because my mind. See? Trying to find a substitute. Maybe it's not that that you you don't need you don't need weed. Maybe you're an undercover heroin addict. We don't know it because we never see your arms, or you don't do shoot up, you snort, you cook the cup. We don't see all that. See, people think that because you belong to the church that you instantaneously walk in a level of holiness. Holiness is a growing state. You've got to grow. I, I, know, I know we've been taught theologically that it instantly happened. It instantly happens in terms of you no longer being a sinner in terms of the sentence of God for the wages of sin is death, but receiving Christ gives you the gift of eternal life but your life requires some work now. And you got to lay aside, here it is, Romans, no, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that do so easily beset us and let us run the race. Some of us still got weights. You know you do, that's why you're hitting that crown royal. One sister posed a question this morning in our worship service. What do, how do you forgive a person who keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again? And then she got real real on me. She says, now I'm not talking about that thing that Jesus says, forgive 70 times 7. I'm talking about how do you really forgive them and move on? See, that's a real life situation. You get tired of somebody doing the same thing over and over and you forgiven and they come back and do the same thing. And the question is, do I keep on embracing them in my life? I said, there's a complicated answer to that. There's one complicated, there's one simple. The complicated answer is, you have to forgive. 
because I, you, keep violating God's law over and over and over again. And we keep coming back and he keeps dealing with us over and over and he just provides the grace, the mercy, the strength through the word to help us survive it. The second simple reason is you need to forgive him because you need to set yourself free from the burden of carrying around unforgiveness. It's already been scientifically known that if you are having an unforgiving spirit, it will affect your, not only your mental state, but your physical state, your health. It will drain you. And I really, 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 really feel sorry for you if you have an unforgiving spirit. Because I've said it countless times, when you fail to forgive the person that you won't forgive, probably is not even thinking a single thing about you and going on with their life, living happily ever after, while you still harboring whatever offense it was that they brought about. So you got to be willing to recognize that you got a mindset. You got to confront that. I got to confront the fact that I need to change my mind. Got to do it. Why? Because a mind is a terrible thing. Why would you waste your mind in unforgiveness? Why would you waste your mind in foolishness? If I could predict when I would die, then I probably would play around with it a little bit. But guess what? None of us have that predictability. So why waste my time trying to do something that I know is going to rob me of time? So I need to work on my mindset. And to do that, I got to confront. Don't know what your challenge is. Again, I recognize in this congregation, we don't have that challenge. We don't have any challenges. We cool, we set. We are the model of the right mindset. But for those of us who are growing in our walk with the Lord, you won't break that cycle until you're willing to confront it. Marcus, read for me the text that I asked you to read from. Read it real loud from now. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too mysterious for you, not is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us. Now watch this now. Listen to this text. So Moses is in his final state of existence. Moses is going to transition. And Moses is saying, I'm going to tell you something, but don't think what I'm telling you is locked in heaven. Don't think it's just a word of wisdom that's not going to transcend the heavens and come to the earth. Don't think what I'm going to tell you is merely historic. Don't think what I'm going to tell you is something that it's just going to hide itself away and it's not going to manifest itself in reality. It's going to come to pass, says Moses, and I'm going to tell you why, and then Moses said, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. that we may hear it and do it, but the word is very near you in your mouth, in your heart, that you may do it. Now, did you hear that? 
the word, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and you need to hear it. So remember the writer proverb, life and death is in the power of your tongue. So the word is in you. And one way to break the chain of your mindset is to discover what are you saying? Yes, yes, amen. What are you speaking? Amen. amen. But then, what am I hearing? Who's depositing into my mind? Yes, yes. Which helps formulate my speech. Yes. Because if the wrong stuff is going in, guess what's coming out? The wrong, wrong stuff. stuff. See, I have set before you today life and death. Uh, now, there it is. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Now Moses says, as your leader, as your spiritual leader, he uses the word command. And the, the word command in the Hebrew doesn't mean that I'm telling you what to do. I'm just highly suggesting that if you follow this path, Based on history, yes. this is what God will do. And I think he said he will multiply you. Yes, yes. Make you prosperous. Yes. Increase your way. Yes. And old folks said it best. And he'll be your mind regulator. regulator. Yes. He'll be a heart fixer. And that's what we need. We need somebody to help us regulate our mind Amen. and to fix our Amen. heart because Amen. we're going to be confronted with all kinds of a mirage of stuff. That's why every day you better make sure you got a covering. Amen. Amen. I know Amen. you don't see it, but you better look up and say, Lord, today I need you to help me every step <laughs> that I take. I mean, I don't know what's waiting on me out there. I don't know who's waiting on me out there. But if you promise to protect me and build a hedge all around me, I think I'm going to be victorious every single time. Amen. And no Amen. matter what comes down the pipe, I am more than a conqueror. What if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them? I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong 
your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. That's all I want. See, I'm thinking more about not only you now. So here's the great joy about being a pastor. And as I see Charity and some of the kids who came, when, when, you, when you come to a place and everybody's, you know, most of the, 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 their children, and then 20 years later, 
their young adults. I'm thinking 20 years ago, I'm planting seeds in the life of their mother and father so that those seeds can be transmitted to their children and prayerfully 20 years later, when their children are adults, they, when they get ready, will transplant those same seeds into their own children. Why? Because I'm talking about generational blessings. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm talking about moving from one space and passing it down to another. But I need you to catch it. I need you to catch it. Because if you don't catch it, then you won't have anything to transmit to your children. And then if they don't have anything to transmit to their children, we end up experiencing generational curse. So I gotta admit that I have a mindset needs to be changed and I've got to humbly acknowledge that I have issues that I need to address. Now once again, I recognize that this church don't have any issues. I recognize that, I got it. But I'm sharing this so in case you might find somebody who do have issues, that you can help them along the way and help yourself in the process because I know you got issues. So we got issues. Now I'm not gonna be bold and ask you to tell me what your issue are, I know you're not gonna tell me. Although James says, if you confess. So that's the reason why James in his letter advocates that all of us need another Christian that we can have confidence in that we can share our deepest thoughts. Now, I, I know everybody says, I share all my stuff with God, but have you noticed how God works? God's gonna attach you to someone who can help you walk through this process because we are not on islands by ourselves, but this is a community of people where two is strong, but three is a cord. And so the idea is, says James, find you another Christian that you can confess your sins to. Now that's, that means I gotta be vulnerable. <laughs> that means I gotta be willing to tell them my darkest secrets and prayerfully, they won't look at me differently. See? Now, Theoretically, they shouldn't look at me different because just like I got an issue, they got one too. But they haven't shared with me what theirs is, so I don't know what it is. But my vulnerability says, in order for me to make the leap out of darkness into light, I've got to be willing to stretch my hand out that somebody can help me make that leap. And we call them best friends, prayer partners, whatever you want to labor them. I don't care what you labor them. You need somebody you can, we say on the street, spill your guts to. You need somebody you can talk to. I, I'm talking real talk. Because if you try to fight this thing all by yourself, you know what's going to happen. Number one, you're going to keep going through the cycle. You're gonna, it's an illusion that you're gonna break it out. Number two, you're gonna find out that you're digging yourself a deeper hole. 
especially when someone was right there to help you out of the hole you're already in. So I got to be willing and I got to be humble. That's, that's, that's a critical word, humble. Humble. Humility. That means I got to let go of my pride. I even have to let go what you might even think or say about me. I just got to let it go because if I want out, here's a good way. Let's just say you and I were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace. And someone was standing on the outside of the furnace who had the key to let us out. And we were burning up in the furnace. Now, and we wanted freedom. We wanted to get out of there. Now, let me ask you an honest question. Would we really care what they thought about us if they had the power to get us out of there? I mean, even after they, we got out and they talked about us like a dog, would we really care? No, because the context that I was in, I got out. I can survive what you're saying now because I've been set free. But listen, but we, if I'm not willing to take that risk, guess where I'm going to be? Steel in the furnace, burning up. And guess where that person's going to be? Outside the furnace, in the cool, enjoying the day while I'm struggling in the furnace. So you got to be humble. And when that man saw Jesus, he ran and fell down. A prostrating act of humility and worship. Because he realized, nobody can get me out of this jam but you. And when you confront your demon, when you confront your habit, when you confront that which keeps you from doing what you know you can do mentally, notice what the text says. That demon cried out, why are you confronting me? Whatever you do, don't destroy me. Because Jesus says, when you cast out demons, they run around finding another place that they might take up residence. And if you ain't careful, they come back to you. They'll come back seven times worse. That's, that's what Jesus says. So once you kick them out, what you want them to do? Stay out. All right. This can only come from honestly thinking about my mindset. So I'm going to close like this. Simple question, nothing profound, no profundity involved in it, just a simple question. What you thinking about? What's on your mind? What controls your mind? How do you wash your mind? How do you cleanse it? Who do you allow to deposit in it? What do you deposit in it? Because I guarantee you, if you took the time to trace, when you confront, to trace back what it is that keeps being habitual in your life, you're going to find out it's something that you let in. You let it in. Now, I can't stop things coming to me, but I sure can stop things from getting in me. Amen. I'm going to be always confronted by stuff, but it becomes a question of if I'm going to engage in what I'm being confronted by. Trace it. Trace your habit. Trace it. And I'll bet you, you'll find out it's one act that you did and you thought it would be 
so insignificant, wouldn't have any harm on you at all, five years later, it's a bad habit. It's a stumbling block. The other thing I shared with us this morning is one reason, the other reason why you want to forgive is because if you ever allow something to become a stumbling block in your life to another Christian, that's dangerous. And so it doesn't have to be unforgiveness. It can be hatred. You know, you just... I'm going to use a Christian word, dislike. We just dislike a person. Hatred is such a deep, uh, heavy, strong word. And this association uh, with actions that we know of can be just quite devastating. So I'm just going to say dislike. There are people we dislike. And the problem with dislike is there's a suggestion that not only is there a difference, and it's okay to have a difference, but we strongly suggest that even our difference can't be mended. And then that would be a problem with God's word in reference to reconciliation. So no matter how hard we try, we can't get off the hook. God won't let us off the hook. But Lord, I don't like Deacon so-and-so because he just, God's not going to let me off the hook. God's answer is going to be, you better find a way to work with that person in their difference because I'm working with you. See, you got to always trace that thing back to eternity. And if you always put God at the end, you'll discover, well, as it comes back to me, I got to figure out what do I do and the worst thing we don't like to do when we have a difference is to confront the person that we have the difference with. I know that don't happen in this church. I know it. But we don't like to do that. Listen to me. And the only way you're going to fix it is you just confront it. Confront the person. Don't tell somebody else. What good would it do me to tell someone else about what I don't like about Deacon Baysmore. What good is that going to do? Baysmore ain't changed. I haven't changed. And the problem still remains the same. But if I go directly, Matthew 16. Somebody turn to me. I think I got it right. Matthew 16. I think I got it right. 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 Matthew 16. Uh, no, I ain't got it right. Try 18. I ain't got it right. Yep, 18. 18. 18. Talking about confrontation. Let's begin in verse 15. Verse 15, Matthew 18, verse 15. What does it say? Here you go, Mark, you got Moreover, if your brother sins against you, if your brother sins against you, if he does what? Sins. And sin is an offense. So if he crosses or violates me, read. Um, go and tell his fault. Do what? Go and tell him his fault. Go where? Do what? Tell. Go and do what? Tell who? Yeah. There's no way that doesn't say that. 
the small stuff that we deal with underneath the surface. Mm. That little small agitating stuff that gets us. And one thing is we don't like to confront our differences with each other. We'd rather talk about it with somebody else. And this passage says, if your brother sins against you, go to the brother. Between you and him alone. Be, uh, oh, uh, uh, between who? You and him. And what's the last word? Alone. W what's the last word? Alone. Why are you smoking? Why? Why? It's the one thing. Remember that Jesus prayed in Matthew 6. Deliver us from evil. Why? Because it's terrible. It's treacherous. And it's the one thing that keeps us separated. So this text says when we got a difference, we'll go to each other alone. Then what else to say, Mark? But if he will not, he, oh, wait, no. if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, Notice the clause, if. Because there's a good chance now you coming in Christian love and trying to address this thing, not everybody at the level you are. That's right. So everybody ain't going to receive that. That's right. You know, there could be still a baby working on the box. That's right. And here you are and graduated to two strips of meat. So your life is producing you're growing, you're maturing, but there's isn't. There's still there. And so you come to say, hey, listen, let's talk about this. No, they got an attitude, loud talking, everybody knows you're trying to get out. Hold on, we don't want to hear about it. You said it in public, let's hear it in public. You're just going all over. And that's not a sister thing. You know, sisters do the head. Uh-uh, brothers got that crazy mess going on too. We do some crazy stuff. You know what I'm so not everybody's going to receive you, but the text has an if clause. If they receive you, then you've gained a brother. You've gained right. a sister. Amen. That means we squashed it. And most importantly, the devil didn't win that. Right. Didn't win that battle. Amen. 
didn't win that battle at all. But the saints. Amen. Keep reading, Marcus. But if you will not hear, take with you one or two more. Now, there's a reason why this is a progression. That's right. Now, That by the mouth, by the mouth, turn your page of two or three witnesses, every now, word. Hold it right there. Now, why is that important? Hebrew culture. Hebrew culture had a good way of shutting down hearsay. Hebrew culture. If I came to you and said, "Well, you know," Hebrew culture. If two or three don't tell me, it's not an issue. And they have to be eyewitnesses. That, that changes the whole thing. You gotta, you gotta see it for yourself. Not rumor. Eyewitnesses. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it, but they told me. My grandfather used to have a saying, I think he's right. They bring a bone. They'll carry a bone. You know what that means? They came and told you a story. They'll go away and tell another story. Two or three witnesses. That's how they handle gossip. Eyewitnesses. Every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, Say, Reverend Murphy said, No, Reverend Murphy know what he said, Baseball know what he said, somebody else, because those two or three witnesses can verify what was said. Now, we're talking about honesty, too. Now, I don't want Deke trying to lie to help a brother out, but that just deepens our problem. Okay? And we do that, too. We lie. Sometimes I've heard people say, we lie because we want to make them pay for what they've done. You can't make nobody pay for what they've done. Did you hear me? You hear me clearly, Chip. You can't make nobody pay for what they've done. Wonder why? Because when you attempt to do that, you administer the wrong payment. 
And he refuses to hear them tell it to the church. Now, if we can't rectify it, we're talking about a community. Then it's an unfortunate thing when it's escalated where we got to share it to the whole church. That's unfortunate. That really is. It really is when you have to bring it for the church. This text, Matthew 18, is what we call church discipline. And we don't do it anymore. We don't do it. I'm going to tell you why. Because we don't like to bring an issue to the church and the church has to be involved in making a decision. Because the church would rather have the pastor and the deacons or whomever the person is make that decision. But don't involve all of us. I've seen it happen, trust me. Right here in this church. Because nobody wants to be involved in that kind of stuff. It's bad. Listen to me, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. And you know what? It lingers along for years. And guess what? All of the good that you've done, no one will remember that, but they will remember when they brought you for the church. Because by human nature, that's the way we are. We're going to remember the bad somebody done and forget all of the good that they have done. As if they can't make a mistake. Do you hear what I'm saying? Mindset. What's the rest of that verse, son? But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, that just simply means if, if, if the church can't rectify it, then you don't need to have that person a part of your fellowship. Okay, i.e., you put them out. That's what that means. Now, I, hopefully we never see anything like that. But do you understand what I'm saying about you have to be willing to confront what your issue is and you got to be honest about it. Let me say this in closing. You got to examine how you respond to things. Consider your overall view of circumstances, life circumstances. Ask yourself the question, are you pessimistic? Are you optimistic? Are you generally positive? Are you generally negative? Are you a fearful person? Are you a hopeful person? You can also ask somebody to help you. And this is, I told this morning, you might want to be careful if you do this. Ask somebody around you who knows you very well to give an honest assessment of who you are. You might not be ready for that. Because, you know, they'll look at you and go, you really want me to tell you what, we, what I see? Okay, here it is. But that's the best way to confront yourself, to deal with that thing and shut it down. And at the end of the day, you'll be so much more happier because you broke, you're beginning to break that chain. And you don't want to, listen, when you start breaking that chain, you're going to get that sense of freedom. And when you get that sense of freedom, it's just like those of us when you got out of high school and you got that first year of college and you were living under mom and daddy's rules. When you got to that college, boy, you knew you were what? Free. And boy, you got that man, and you knew at night, at 11 o'clock, oh, I ain't got nobody to report to. I can stay up to 12. You see what I'm saying? That freedom, that's the kind of freedom you get when you start breaking them chains in your mind. Okay? So the first one was confrontation. Next Sunday, I'll deal with the second statement, or second step, I should say, in the process. Anybody get anything out of this today?
You learn anything out of this event? Um, All right, let me give you this last statement. Here's why this is important. Let me give you this last statement. It's important that you get your mind renewed and adapted to the fact that we are fighting a defeated enemy. Listen, already, you've already won. <laughs> this is the only fight you're going to be in you already know what the end result is going to be. The reason we have already won is because blood has been shed for that victory on a hill called Calvary. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood that saved me. One day when I was lost, he died on the cross. I know it was the blood that saved me. The devil never anticipated that Jesus not only be put on a cross, but that he would arise from a grave. He never anticipated that Jesus would become victorious after being crucified on a cross. And that's the victory we have. No matter where your mind is in crucifixion, God's grace gives you resurrection. All right, here's my final statement. When you are engaged in warfare, you have to make the enemy psychologically frustrated. You have to make the enemy believe you are winning even when it looks like you're losing. So never concede to the enemy's suggestion that he gonna get you. But use your mind because you are more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. Hallelujah. Our Father God, thank you for our time today in which salvation is such a celebratory experience. Thank you for the word of God and for the word of life and for 